Good morning, everyone. It is indeed a a joy and a pleasure to be with you uh, again this morning. Uh, I have enjoyed my three Sundays very much, and uh, we trust that as we open up God's Word just now that we might continue to know His help and His blessing. Turn with me, please, to the book of Numbers and chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And we break into the chapter at verse 11. What's happening now really follows on from the spies having been sent out uh, and sort of coming back uh, with different kinds of reports, uh, those that were good, those that were bad, and the the choices that the, the people made. And in verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me? In spite of all the signs that I have done among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Now, if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness. And now, please let the power of the Lord be great, as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. But truly, as I live, and as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, since the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. This is the Word of God. 
Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw uh, an old man coming toward him. The old man was weary from the journey, weary from age. And Abraham took pity on him and rushed out and greeted him, invited him into his tent. He washed the old man's feet and gave him food and drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying any blessing or any prayer. So Abram said to him, do you not worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship only fire and no other God. Abram was furious and he grabbed the old man, as we would say by the scruff of the neck, and he threw him out of the tent into the cold night air. When the old man had left, God called to his friend Abraham and he asked where the stranger was. Abram said, I threw him out because he didn't worship you. God replied, I have put up with him these 80 years, though he dishonors me. Could you not endure him for one night? I have put up with him these 80 years, even though he dishonors me. Could you not endure him for one night? Of all the amazing characteristics of God, very little has been written by theologians or expositors on the patience of God. Whatever the reason for this lapse, there's no doubt that we, we stand to, to lose out so much if we fail to consider the patience of God. If we fail to understand, to grasp that the one who is our God is patient. This morning I want to uh, correct that, lap, that lapse. Uh, we want to investigate this, this wonderful characteristic of God. That he is patient. That he is long-suffering. We begin by looking at what we could describe as patience examined. Stephen Charnock partly defines God's patience like this. It is part of the divine goodness and mercy, and yet it differs from both. God's slowness to anger is a branch of his mercy, yet it differs from his mercy in that mercy sees the creature as miserable. Patience sees the creature as criminal. Mercy pities him in his misery. Patience bears with his sin, the sin that brought him into that misery and continues to keep him in that misery. 
The focus of God's mercy is the whole of creation. However, the focus of God's patience is chiefly man. And the reason being, of course, that that the rest of creation doesn't rebel against God and so is not on the receiving end of his patience. Where there is no wrong, where there is no suffering, there is no patience in operation. Because God's patience is interwoven with his goodness and his mercy, it means that his patience is not unmoved. In other words, God is not patient simply because he doesn't care. He's not patient because he's, he's not capable of anger. He's not patient because he doesn't know why he's angry or who he's angry at. None of those things are true. We know from Scripture that God sees, that he knows all things. He knows when people sin. He knows who the guilty parties are. It's just that he is not quick to carry out his punishment on the offenders. He sees our sin and our rebellion. And his hatred of those things is stirred up within him. While at the same time, he stands with open arms for repentant sinners to turn and to seek forgiveness. His patience does not mean that he is ignorant of what's happening. Just as as his delay in implementing his promises is not carelessness towards his people, as Peter reminds us in 2 Peter 3. So his holding back of punishment is not because he doesn't know about our sin. Nor is God's patience the result of his inability to do anything about sin, his inability to punish sin. Very often, you see, our patience is simply the result of cowardice or the result of a lack of strength to to do anything about the situation. Sometimes we are patient because we can't do anything else. We don't have the power to deal with the situation. But that's not true of God. Scripture reminds us that he is the one who is all-powerful. He created all things, and therefore he is well able to destroy all things if he desired. He certainly has the power to deal with, to punish sin. In fact, God's patience is a display of his power. It's a display of his power. His power over himself. 
his ability, if you like, to control himself. The writer in Proverbs reminds us that revenge is the sign of a childish mind. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. If you think about it, God's patience is a greater argument for his power than the creation of the world, or indeed the destruction of it. This is a power that only God possesses. There is, of course, his, his, the power of his anger and the power of his patience. But his power is seen more in his patience than in his wrath. Impatience is a, a lack of power to control. It, it, it's the lack of power over man's self that makes him do things that he shouldn't do, especially when provoked. His anger, if you like, is greater than his self-control. That shows a lack of power. What is God's patience? One writer says, it is the power of control he exercises over himself, causing him to bear with the wicked and forbear so long without punishing them. God is patient. God is long-suffering. Again, Peter, 2 Peter 3, 9 reminds us that he is not willing that any should perish. But how do we see this patience manifesting itself? In what way is God's patience expressed? Right from the beginning of time, we see God's patience in dealing with man. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God didn't immediately carry out the full extent of his punishment. He didn't strike them dead there on the spot. Indeed, Adam lived something like 930 years before God carried out his judgment of physical death on him. We see God's patience expressed in the way in which he warns of coming doom. Before God sent the flood to destroy the world and, and the wicked in it, he waited 120 years. And during that time, we're told that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. 120 years. Job could say of God, 
He speaks once, yes, twice, and man doesn't notice it or pay attention to it. It's wonderful how how many times you read in Scripture of God speaking the second time, of God coming the second time. We think of Elijah, and the angel came the second time. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet to warn his people that if they didn't change their ways, that he would punish them. Hosea alone prophesied for 70 years. The four minor prophets, as they're known, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and Micah, were sent to foretell the the destruction of the ten tribes. They were sent to, to call the people to repentance before that would happen. And, and God clearly displayed his patience in the way he warns and warns and warns and warns. God's patience is expressed in the giving of his mercies in the face of extreme provocation. The giving of his mercies in the face of extreme provocation. How often do we see, how often do we complain about how the ungodly prosper? God blesses those who deny him who blaspheme his name. And that has long been the case. As Israel left Egypt, where God had saved them from uh, oppression, they cried for generations for the Lord to come and to, to bring them out of that situation. And they come to the Red Sea, they're barely round the corner. And they turn on God, complaining, criticizing Moses for bringing them up out of Egypt. They want to go back. I think if we had been Moses, we might have said, well, away you go and you deserve all you get. But not God. He showered blessing upon blessing on a most ungrateful people. Manna from heaven, water from a rock, clothes that never wore out, protection from their enemies. For over 40 years, and all that time, they continually rebelled and complained and criticized. What incredible patience! You see God's patience expressed when we think about the extent to which he was provoked. As his perfect, sinless son is brutally abused and put to death 
and the people carrying out this this dreadful deed respond by saying, his blood be on our heads and that of our children. We take full responsibility for our actions. We take responsibility for the consequences. And again, God waits 40 years before the temple is destroyed. And what about today? How is he treated by the mass of humanity? What's the language today towards him? Who is the Lord that we should obey him? Who is he? Men deny his existence. They blaspheme his name. They abuse and kill his people. They seek to undermine his work. They seek to stamp out his church. To quote Job again, they drink up wickedness like water. The society that you and I belong to makes Sodom and Gomorrah look like righteous cities. I was intrigued by the children's song there. God made us boys and God made us girls. The world that we live in doesn't believe that. What about us as God's people? How often do we worship God for what we can get out of it? Looking for something in return. How often do we serve him? Not out of love, but because we're afraid of what others might think if we don't. Or because we're afraid what he, what he might do to us, or indeed what he might not do for us. How often do we worship with our lips, but our hearts are far from him? Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based merely on human rules that they have been taught. And Jesus himself quoting that, that passage in, in Matthew 15 says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Outwardly, we can be seen as loving and, and serving him, but inwardly, we're busy with our own agenda. Why? Why does the righteous judgment of heaven not make an end to this provocation? Why? Because as Paul says in Romans 9 and verse 22, God bears with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. God bears with much 
long-suffering. Patience explained, patience expressed, patience experienced. We've seen how a patient God expresses that patience to a, a sinful, undeserving, ungrateful world. But as on other occasions, we, we want to ask uh, our question again, how does that affect me? What should my response be? Well, we've already seen something of how God's patience affects us. <laughs> the very fact that we're still here. That we're, we're not consumed by his wrath displays his patience to us. But what about our response? What about our reaction to God's patience? Well, first and foremost, we need to be extremely careful that we do not abuse it. That we do not abuse it. You see, we abuse God's patience when we see it as a weakness in God or when we see it as a lack of interest on the part of God. We abuse it when he exercises that patience towards us and towards others and we see it in a way that he can't really do anything else. The wicked, evil people in our society getting off, it seems. God's slowness to, to vindicate us when we think he should. God's patience is abused when we continue to sin because we think that God in his patience has put up with worse things. when we continue to sin because we feel that we've gotten away with greater sins so far. It's a very dangerous thing to abuse God's patience. And that's especially true for those who are still without Christ as a Savior. If that's you this morning, then you should take particular note to continue to refuse God's salvation because you want to spend more time in your sin or because you assume that, that you will accept God later when it suits you better, when you've enjoyed life a bit more. Or worse still, when you come to the end of that life. That's abusing the patience of God. What a dangerous, dangerous situation to be in. To, to go on refusing God's salvation because you see his patience in executing judgment on you as a sign of weakness. Weakness. 
or, or an inability to do so, or indeed you see it as proof that it doesn't exist. That is to seriously abuse God's patience. And it is to find yourself in an extremely dangerous position. Because one day, one day, God's patience will cease. And what then? Then you'll be on the receiving end of his awful wrath. See, God's patience is never and should never be an excuse for continuing in sin. Indeed, the opposite is the case. Romans 2 and 4, Paul reminds us that it is in fact meant to bring us to repentance. What a great assurance God's patience is to those who belong to him. God displaying such patience towards his enemies. How much greater, how much greater is his patience towards his children? Of course, the impact of God's patience on us should be to cause us to imitate it. To imitate it. To cause us to reflect that patience in our dealing with others. Seeing how patient God has been in the face of of tremendous provocation, sometimes from us, What what justification do we, his children, have in retaliating against others? Sometimes for the least provocation. Because someone doesn't give us our place, doesn't give us the respect that we think we're due. Someone speaks ill of us or our family. Because we're, we're not happy with the way things are going in our lives, in our homes, in our workplace, in the church. Because we haven't been given the attention we think we deserve. We retaliate. Isn't it interesting how we expect and indeed demand perfection from others in the way they deal with us. And yet we conveniently forget that we are far from perfect ourselves. We can be so demanding, so impatient. When we consider, as we have been doing, how God continues to show patience to us in spite of the, uh, the multitude and the magnitude of our provocation toward him, what an insult to God for us to behave like that. 
What an insult to seek to get even for what is a minor issue. Matthew 5 and verse 48, Jesus says, Be you perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. God's incredible, astonishing patience toward us must cause us to exercise that same patience towards others. Matthew 5, Jesus urges us. He says, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And yet so often we find it difficult to treat other members of God's family properly, never mind our enemies. Just as God's slowness to anger displays the greatness of his power over himself. So an unwillingness on our part to retaliate displays God's power at work in us, enabling us to exercise that same power in our lives. God frequently urges in Scripture that we reflect this particular part of his character. And does it no more clearly than in Colossians 3 and verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Patience. That's not a request. It's a command. Long-suffering patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And if we have no desire to produce the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, then we have an even greater problem. We need to take a very serious look at our relationship with God. When we're tempted to to be impatient with the slowness of others, or or worse still, to, to seek revenge when we feel wronged, let's recall this this amazing characteristic of God's patience of God's long-suffering, and the reality of it in our everyday lives. Let's remember that he expects, he expects those who love him will keep his commandments. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments you will reflect my likeness. And that includes his patience. Our response to our God who is patient must surely be to to reflect his likeness, his patience, whatever provocation we may face. Surely 
our prayer must be that our response to our God who is patient will be to reflect his likeness, reflect his patience. That the world that you and I move in this week might meet him and his patience as they interact with us, his people. Meet your God, who never changes, is always everywhere, and who is patient. Trust that as we've looked briefly at some of these wonderful aspects of the nature of the character of the God that we worship and that we serve, that, that will enable us to regain a high and a lofty view of God and who he truly is. And the, that the impact of, of that renewed understanding might hallow our worship of him might increase our obedience to him, might strengthen our love for him, might develop our likeness to him, might motivate our service for him, might bring others to him, that all the glory might be his. Let's pray. (laughs) To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Our God and Father, we simply want to thank you for this insight into the nature of our God. We're so conscious that in our finiteness, we can never fully understand all that you are. But we thank you for the ways in which you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the the glimpses that we have of those various characteristics of your nature. And Father, we thank you above all for your patience. Where would we be without your patience and your long-suffering? Where would we be if you were swift to mark iniquity? Father, we'd be lost. We thank you that you are patient, that you are patient with us. Lord, forgive us wherein we have abused that patience wherein we have been guilty of continuing in sin at times, where we've been guilty of taking you for granted. We've been guilty in the way we've treated others. Father, help us. Pour your Spirit into us that we might be those who continually reflect the true nature of God.
Father, we know that this world has no time for you. We ask that as we live out our lives day by day, that it may be continually confronted by the God of heaven as you are reflected in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.